0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 253. Today's big Bible question is, how is God our refuge and strength? We're also going to talk a little bit more about what God looks like according to the Bible. So, hello, everybody. Happy three-day weekend to you, at least those of you who actually have a three-day weekend. Funny story, uh, well, kind of funny, I guess. Today's episode was initially going to be entitled, What do angels look like? To understand why and why it isn't titled that, I need to tell you a little bit about how this sausage is made here, so to speak. Well, my process for making this podcast is I do a shallow reading of our Bible passages first and foremost, looking for an interesting topic to discuss, almost always in the form of a question. Once the main question is decided upon, then we do some research and then write an article or transcript, and then I record the podcast, sometimes reading the article, sometimes a little bit of ad-libbing. Now, I've been wanting to focus on the is an, any Ezekiel passage. We haven't done so yet, and I thought today's chapter would be great to do that. It begins by describing a spiritual being in some detail, and upon a cursory reading of Ezekiel 8, uh, cursory readings being the most dangerous kind of Bible readings, I decided to do a pod on what angels look like, because there's actually a good bit of information in the Bible that describes the appearance of angels, surprisingly enough. So I wrote a few paragraphs of introduction, and then began to read and research in earnest, which, that is a mistake. Upon doing that, I discovered a bit of a surprise. I don't know for sure that the spiritual being in Ezekiel 8 is, in fact, an angel. In fact, I think it's probably not an angel, but more likely something like a pre-incarnation portrayal of Jesus. And the reason for that is because the appearance of this being in Ezekiel 8 has striking parallels with the appearance of Jesus in Revelation 1. So let's go read the Ezekiel 8 passage and then we'll talk a little bit more about who this spiritual being might be. Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting in front of me and there the hand of the Lord God came down on me. I looked, and there was someone who looked like a man. From what seemed to be his waist down was fire, and from his waist up was something that looked bright like the gleam of amber. He stretched out what appeared to be a hand and took me by the hair of my head. Then the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and carried me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the inner gate that faces north, where the offensive statue that provokes jealousy was located." I saw the glory of the God of Israel there, like the vision I had seen in the plain. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, look towards the north. And I looked to the north, and there was this offensive statue north of the altar gate at the entrance. He said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing here? More detestable acts that the house of Israel is committing, so that I must depart from my sanctuary. You will see even more detestable acts. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall, and he said to me, Son of man, dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall and discovered a doorway. He said to me, Go in and see the detestable wicked acts they are committing here. I went in and looked, and there engraved all around the wall was every kind of abhorrent thing crawling creatures and beasts, as well as all the idols of the house of Israel. Seventy elders from the house of Israel were standing before them, with Jatsaniah, son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had a fire pan in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising up. He said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his idol? For they are saying, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has abandoned the land." Again, he said to me, you will see even more detestable acts that they are committing. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the Lord's house, and I saw women sitting there weeping for Tammuz. And he said to me, do you see this, son of man? You will see even more detestable acts than these. So he brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house, and there were about 25 men at the entrance of the Lord's temple, between the portico and the altar, with their backs to the Lord's temple, and their faces turned to the east. They were bowing to the east in worship of the sun, and he said to me, Do you see this, son of man? Is it not enough for the house of Judah to commit the detestable acts they are doing here, that they must also fill the land with violence and repeatedly anger me, even putting the branch to their nose? Therefore I will respond with wrath. I will not show pity or spare them. Though they call loudly in my hearing, I will not listen to them." So, wow, that's quite a description and quite a powerful chapter, God showing Ezekiel all of the evil things the leaders of Israel and Judah were doing at that time. But back to the description of this spiritual being. Ezekiel says, it's someone who looked like a man, from what seemed to be his waist down was fire, and from his waist up was something that looked bright, like the gleam of amber. And then we looked at Revelation 1, the description of Jesus there that John sees. John says, I turned, in verse 12, to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. So, kind of interesting. Oh, and by the way, he concludes that saying, his face was like the sun shining at full strength. And I think you can see some of the parallels there, the fire, the colors, etc. I also note that the being in Ezekiel 8 has even more striking appearance parallels with the being in Ezekiel 1, who is portrayed pretty clearly as God. And we see in Ezekiel one twenty-five through 28, this description. A voice came from the expanse over their heads, and when they stopped, they lowered their wings. And something like a throne with the appearance of Lapis Lazuli was above the expanse over their heads. On the throne, high above, was someone who looked like a human. From what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like amber, with what looked like fire enclosing it all around. From what seemed to be his waist down, I also saw what looked like fire. There was a brilliant light all around him. The appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the likeness of the Lord's glory. So I want to throw one more passage in here, which is Daniel 10, which describes another spiritual being. It's not, this being is not called an angel, but he shares very very similar traits with Jesus in Revelation and maybe to a slightly lesser degree the spiritual being in Ezekiel so Daniel 10:2 through 6 in these days those days I Daniel was mourning for 3 full weeks i didn't eat any rich food no meat or wine entered my mouth and i didn't put any oil on my body until the 3 weeks were over on the 24th day of the first month as i was standing on the bank of the great river the tigris I looked up, and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now that description and the John description, John description of Jesus in Revelation are really almost exact. And by the way, you might be saying, what exactly is a barrel? Well, that's B E R Y L. I'm not sure we know exactly what the Hebrew jewel or gem there mentioned. It matches exactly to our modern day barrel, but a barrel is a type of mineral that can uh, appear as an emerald or as an aquamarine, and and other things as well. Very hard, very pretty, different colors. Like an emerald is green. Uh, In most cases, an aquamarine is blue. So we don't really know from the description of a barrel exactly what color this being is. But he obviously was fiery, lightning, gleaming, etc. So what can we conclude here? Well, first we can conclude, based on my initial mistake that cursory readings or shallow readings of the Scripture, like I did at the beginning of this episode, can lead to potential mistakes because we tend to jump to conclusions and make connections that aren't there when we just give something a very shallow read. That is something for you and I both to watch out for. And we can also learn that the Bible has a good bit of mystery in it, that it doesn't always take the pains to spell out to us. I tend to think that the being described in all of the passages above Every one of them, the Daniel passage, the Ezekiel passage, and the Revelation passage, is the second member of the Trinity Jesus, God himself, and the Son of God. But honestly, the Bible does not identify completely the spiritual being in these Old Testament passages, so we should not be definitive when we are sort of, you know, educatedly guessing. All that said, I still love to read and discuss the descriptions of God and other spiritual beings in the Bible. I find it fascinating. So I hope that wasn't wasted time for you in what is now the longest introduction in the history of this podcast. Well, today's readings include a bunch of chapters, 1 Samuel 29 and 30, Psalm 46 and 47. Ezekiel 8, which we've already read, in 1 Corinthians 10. So we're going to focus today in a spiritual sense on the very beginning of Psalm 46, a wonderful promise and a very comforting truth. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. So let's read that psalm together, and then we are going to come back and hear from Charles Spurgeon some wonderful words based on Psalm forty-six, one. God is our refuge and strength, the helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil, Selah. There is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning morning dawns. Nations rise, rage. Kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes war cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. Psalm 47, God our King, clap your hands, all you peoples, shout to God with a jubilant cry. For the Lord, the Most High, is awe-inspiring, a great King over the whole earth. He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. He chooses for us our inheritance, the pride of Jacob whom he loves, Selah. God ascends among shouts of joy, the Lord with the sound of a ram's horn. Sing praise to God, sing praise, sing praise to our King, sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom, for God is king of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have assembled with the people of God of Abraham. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Now, one thing I want to say before we turn it over to Mr. Spurgeon is this little passage here in Psalm 46, verse 5. We'll start in verse 4, where it says, There is a river. It streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Now that is a verse, Psalm 46 verse 5, God is within her. She will not be overcome or toppled or whatever. That is a verse I have seen very often on social media accounts as, uh, per- usually females, their like motto verse or whatever. And that's great. I think it's great to share a Bible verse as like, uh, something in your profile. It's a great witness and everything. But here's the thing the her in Psalm 46 is not like a particular female, it's the city of God. So there are great verses out there that talk about how God will sustain us and protect us. In fact, Verse one of this psalm is a fantastic one. But if you are out there and you're uh, a, a lovely female who loves the word of God, God bless you. And you're using Psalm forty six five as your uh, profile verse, or if you're maybe using Jeremiah twenty nine eleven as your profile verse. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, etc. Maybe, maybe th- consider the con- the the context of those passages and maybe the fact that those aren't really necessarily promises to us. The Jeremiah twenty nine eleven verse is a promise to the Israelites to bring them out of exile eventually. The Psalm 46 5 verse is a promise about the city of God. Let's, you know, stick to passages like Psalm 46 1, which is something we can cling to and put in our profile and stand on and uh, share with everybody because it's awesome. So let's go to Spurgeon with some encouraging thoughts on Psalms 46. This is what Spurgeon says. God's people have a sure confidence. Other men, men build as best they may, but true believers rest upon the rock of ages. Their confidence is altogether beyond themselves. In this Psalm, there is nothing about their own virtue, valor, or wisdom. The heathen moralist boasted that if the world itself should break, his integrity would make him stand fearless amid the wreck. But the believer in God has a humbler, though a truer, alliance. Though the earth be removed, he is not dismayed, and this does not arise from his own personal self-sufficiency, but from God, who is his refuge and strength. He is fearless, the believer in God is fearless, not because of his stoutness of heart, or natural firmness of will, but because he has a God to shelter him and uphold him. If he does not fear calamity, it's because he fears God and God alone. Our Psalm 46 begins with God and with God it ends. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We may be as timid by nature as the conies, which I believe is like a rock badger who hides in the rocks, but God is our refuge. We are as weak by nature as bruised reeds, but God is our strength. We never know what strength is till our own weakness drives us to trust omnipotence. We never understand how safe our refuge is until all the other refuges fail us. When the earth is removed and the waters of the sea roar and we are troubled both from land and sea, we hide ourselves in God. You who are strong in yourselves imagine strength where only weakness can be found. You seek the living among the dead and substantial confidence amidst the vanity of vanities." If we look to ourselves for courage, we will fail in the hour of trial. When the earth is removed, the mightiest men are the first to shudder. The greatest boasters become the worst cowards. For confidence in peace, we must say unto the Lord, All my fountains or all my fresh springs are in you. This confidence is gained by an appropriating faith. Peace comes to me not only by what God is, but by what God is to me. God is our refuge and strength. This God is our God. You never enjoy the goodness and greatness of God if you view them in an abstract manner. You must grasp them as your own. It seems a daring act for a man to appropriate God, and yet the Lord invites us to do it. He says, let him take hold of my strength. Why hesitate to make that appropriation? Look at the men of the world. They would appropriate the whole earth if they could continents are not too wide. It is no fault of theirs if they do not hedge in the stars and monopolize the sun. And shall not the Christian appropriate those heavenly things of which he is made the heir, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ Jesus? Let us join with the prophet Jeremiah in his comfortable soliloquy. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him." As with Thomas, we behold the print of the nails in the hands of Jesus. Let us say unto our blessed Redeemer, my Lord and my God. The deep peace, which is our right and privilege, will not be ours unless, with assured faith, we take the Lord to be ours in all the fullness of his love. Come, let us now say, God is our refuge and strength. Amen and amen and amen. God indeed is our strength and refuge, and praise him for that. Now we go to 1 Samuel chapter 29, verse 1. The Philistines brought all their military units together at Ephek, while Israel was camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine leaders were passing in review with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were passing in review behind them with Achish. Then the Philistine commanders asked, what are these Hebrews doing here? Akish answered the Philistine commanders, "'That is David, servant of King Saul of Israel. He has been with me a considerable period of time from the day he defected until today. I have found no fault with him.' The Philistine commanders, however, were enraged with Akish and told him, "'Send that man back and let him return to the place you assigned him. He must not go down with us into battle only to become our adversary during the battle.' What better way could he ingratiate himself with his master than with the heads of our men? Isn't this the David they sing about during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands? So Achish summoned David and told him, As the Lord lives, you are an honorable man. I think it's good to have you fighting in this unit with me, because I have found no fault in you from the day you came to me until today. But the leaders don't think you're reliable. Now go back quietly and you won't be doing anything the Philistine leaders think is wrong. But what have I done? David replied to Achish. From the first day I entered your service until today, what have you found against your servant to keep me from going to fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Achish answered David, I'm convinced that you are as reliable as an angel of God. But the Philistine commanders have said he must not go into battle with us. So get up early in the morning, you and your master servants who came with you. When you've all gotten up early, go as soon as it's light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men arrived, arrived in Ziklag on the third day, and the Amalekites had raided the Negev and attacked and burned Ziklag. They also had kidnapped the women and everyone in it, from youngest to oldest. They'd killed no one, but had carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men arrived in the, at the town, they found it burned, and their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. David and his troops with him wept loudly until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had also been ca- kidnapped. David was in an extremely difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him, for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Amen. David said to the priest, Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it to him. And David asked the Lord, Should I pursue these raiders? Will I overtake them? And the Lord replied to him, Pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. So David and the six hundred men with him went. They came to Wadi Bazor, where some stayed behind. David and 400 of the men continued in the pursuit, while 200 stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the Wadi Bezor. David's men found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. Then they gave him some pressed figs and two clusters of raisins. After he ate, he revived, for he hadn't eaten food or drank water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, "'Who do you belong to? Where are you from?' I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an an Amalekite man, he said. My master abandoned me when I got sick three days ago. We raided the south country of the Cherithites, the territory of Judah, and the south country of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David then asked him, Will you lead me to these raiders? He said, Swear to me by God that you won't kill me or turn me over to my master, and I will lead you to them. So he led them, and there were the Amalekites spread out over an entire area, eating, drinking, and celebrating because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from twilight until the evening of the next day. None of them escaped except 400 young men who got on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing from the youngest to the oldest, including the sons and daughters, and all the plunder the Amalekites had taken. David got everything back. He took all the flood's... "'Flocks and herds which were driven ahead of the other livestock, "'and the people shouted, "'This is David's plunder!' "'When David came to the two hundred men "'who had been too exhausted to go with him "'and had been left at the Wadi Bazor, "'they came out to meet him and to meet the troops with him. "'When David approached the men, he greeted them, "'but all the corrupt and worthless men "'among those who had gone with David argued, "'Because they didn't go with us, "'we will not give any of the plunder we recovered to them "'except for each man's wife and children.' They may take them and go. But David said, My brothers, you must not do this with what the Lord has given us. He protected us and handed over to us the raiders who came against us. Who can agree to your proposal? The share of the one who goes into the battle is to be the same as the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will share equally. And it has been so from that day forward. David established this policy as a law and an ordinance for Israel, and it still continues today. When David came to Ziklag, he sent some of this plunder to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent gifts to those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, and in Jatir, to those in Aror, in Sithmoth, and in Eshtimoah, to those in Rakal, in the towns of the Jeromeliads, and in the towns of the Kenites, to those in Hormah, in Borashan, and in Athech to those in Hebron, and to those in all the places where David and his men had roamed. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes, and don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction, on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. So then, my dear friends, flee from my idolatry. I am speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread. We who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table, in the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invite you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Amen and amen. May we do everything also for the glory of God, friends. Good day to you. Happy Saturday and Godspeed.